Welcome back to The Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about how to act in your own best interest. Edwin was already shaking his head when he popped onto my screen for our coaching call. He opened with, oh boy, I really stepped in it. I knew Edwin had a sincere drive to do the right thing. When he felt himself off the mark, he suffered. Even though he was smiling now, I could see this was no small matter to him. He told me what happened. Edwin had created a document for his boss, Marta. He had intended the document for her eyes only and assumed she would treat it as such. Ten days later, Marta sent an email to dozens of people, including Edwin. She referenced a document that she had shared in a different setting. Edwin could tell she was referring to the document he had created for her that had not been intended for distribution. The fact that she'd shared it wasn't what disturbed him. He accepted that he had not been explicit about confidentiality. What disturbed him was that the document was going to stir up a hornet's nest of upset. Wanting to protect Marta from blowback, Edwin composed a heartfelt apology, took full responsibility for the document Marta had referred to, and sent the email to the distribution list. Almost immediately, he found out he was wrong. The document Marta had referenced had nothing to do with Edwin's. Marta had kept Edwin's document confidential. Edwin felt there were so many people to apologize to, he didn't know where to start. He was mortified. He had, as he said, stepped in it. I watched as he gathered himself. He said, I've been here before, you know. What do you mean, I asked. I think about being with my friends in school. I'd be the one guy arguing that, no, we really should do it that way. And then I would come to find out I'd missed the boat somewhere along the line and gone off down my own path. Huh, that's interesting, I said. What was happening? You mean, why was I doing it? I don't know, but it happened more than once. And does it matter, Edwin? I mean, if you did it forever, would it make any difference? I think so, he said. I don't want to be the guy who's stirring things up all the time, like I did with that email. But if I keep jumping to wrong-headed conclusions, I'm going to be that guy. How could that be good for me? I replied, I agree it can be costly to jump into bad conclusions, but I also believe we all jump to conclusions all the time. And it can be super beneficial. I mean, jumping to conclusions lets us be efficient. You know, I I see that green light. I jump to the conclusion that everyone else sees it too and that everyone agrees on what it means, so I step on the gas, you know, because I jumped to a conclusion. It's not always bad. He said, but how do you know whether it's a good conclusion or a bad conclusion when all the signs are saying go? How do you learn to slow down and figure it out? Considering, I said, I wonder if the ladder of inference would be helpful to you, Edwin. The ladder of inference might give you a way to see whether all those signs are really saying go or not. The ladder has three rungs. Each one gives you questions to ask before moving up. You might like it. Is this something you can send me, he asked. 
Oh, sure, I'll send you a PDF. But can I tell it to you? It's not complicated. Oh, if there's something you know, yeah, sure, please. I said, okay, so this is a model called the ladder of inference. At the very top of the ladder of inference is an action, an action you take. He smiled and said, like sending that email. Yes, like that, I said, or me stepping on the gas. The rungs of the ladder that lead up to the action are there to make your actions be intentional. The purpose of the ladder of inference is to make sure your actions are in your own best interest. No boneheaded conclusions, he said. Right, I smiled. Besides, your brain is going to climb these three rungs no matter what. Being conscious of the rungs makes your actions more thoughtful. Bring it on. Lord knows it can't hurt, he said. Okay. So if the top of the ladder is an action, what's at the bottom? The bottom of the ladder is planted in a pool of all possible data. The ladder is standing on every piece of information I could possibly collect in any given moment. And needless to say, it's way more data than I can possibly process. So if I have some action I want to take, I'm going to have to select the data that's going to help me. That choice, that selection of data, what is it that I am noticing? That's the bottom rung of the ladder of inference. There are three rungs. First rung, select data. He said, but isn't selecting data like bias? Isn't selecting some data and excluding others a bad thing? I said, the ladder doesn't think of bias as a bad thing. The ladder says selecting data is inevitable. You have to select data. So how about examining the data before you take the action instead of afterwards? He frowned, thinking, what was the data in my case? I guess it would be seeing her mention my document in her email, right? I said, seeing her mention a document in her email, yes, that was the data you selected. Deciding the document was yours was the next rung up. But let's stick with this rung for a second. When you're on this first rung, when you're conscious that you are selecting data, test the data. Ask yourself, what do I really know? Is the data reliable? Is it accurate? Are there other data out there? He said, you know what other data was out there? The fact that she had already shared the document with people. If I had bothered to check out what that document was, I never would have sent that email. He pulled at his lip, thinking, Okay, check my data. What's the second rung? I said, Interpretation. We take the data we selected and interpret it. We make it mean something. Oh, I see, he said. My interpretation was that she was talking about my document. Exactly, I agreed. He asked, So is the second rung always a distortion of the data? Always? No. I mean, it could be, which is why this rung can be helpful. You ask yourself, is this interpretation real? How do I know this? What other interpretations are there? You test your interpretation. He said, so this is when I would have asked myself, is she really referring to my document? Really? Exactly. You test your interpretation. If this second rung is sturdy, then you move up to the last rung before the top. You make a conclusion. The conclusion justifies the action you're about to take. He said, 
justifies? Uh, maybe, but by then it's too late. By the time I make a conclusion, I'm already screwed. Screwed why, I asked. You haven't taken the action yet. That stopped him. Oh, I don't think of my conclusions as separate from my actions. Once I make my conclusion, the action's going to happen. But you're saying I could separate them? I nodded. That is the exact lesson the latter teaches. So what was my conclusion? To send the email? Sending the email was the action. The way I heard it, you interpreted that the document Marta had shared was yours, which led you to conclude that people would be up in arms and that you could protect Marta by falling on your sword. He just looked at me and nodded. And then he made air quotes and said, Then what? My wife does then what with me sometimes. I'll tell her some string of things that's happened, and she'll just look at me and she'll say, Then what? Like, so what? Like, if that happened, then what are you going to do? I asked, And does then what change what happens next? Sometimes, yeah. Slows me down. Makes me think about my thinking. He stopped and wrote something down, and then he asked, so what's the question I should ask myself on this conclusion rung? Same as the other rungs, I said. Test your conclusion. Ask yourself, even if my interpretation is correct, does that mean my conclusion is correct? What other conclusions could there be? What have I left out? He said, so even if Marta had been referring to my document, would I need to do anything about it? Could I just let it be and see what happens? Wow, that's an interesting question, Edwin. Could you have just let it be? He gave it consideration. If I really believed everyone had received that document, I, I suppose. And what might have happened, I asked. I would have had one really bad sleepless night. He gave a snort, but better that than this. The ladder of inference helped Edwin be more thoughtful in many parts of his life. When he used it, he felt himself reining in an energy that had been wild in him, but now was guiding him toward the look and sound of leadership. I want to begin this part of the episode by talking about the name of the tool, the ladder of inference. Quick aside, the ladder of inference is a thing. If you go to YouTube, there's lots of clips of people explaining the ladder of inference. There's lots of different models. Some have six rungs, one had eight. I gave you three. My point is the ladder of inference. It's a thing. My version's just one of many. But, but I was thinking about the name. As I was thinking about this episode, I was really asking myself, what does that metaphor mean? Like, it was not clear to me. How can inference be a ladder? When I asked myself that question, the first thing that came to mind was something from a high school English teacher I had that I loved. He taught us the meaning of infer by saying, when my words come out of my mouth, I imply meaning. When my words go into your ears, you infer meaning. Well, I have remembered that forever. That was crystal clear. So when I was thinking about what's a ladder of inference and it's this idea of people inferring meaning on what you say, I began to picture a ladder with 
rungs of meaning. Each rung was meaning leading to a new conclusion. So I went, okay, the ladder exists to help you get to good conclusions. What would that look like? Like, what does that really mean? And I thought of two examples, and I want to tell them to you. Uh, well, yeah, here we go. So what we're talking about here are getting to good conclusions. The first example is from a 30-second television commercial that was put out by an insurance agency. It was part of a campaign called Don't Judge Too Quickly. Each little 30-second story ended with someone jumping to a conclusion that you, the viewer, could completely understand, but you knew was 100% wrong. Here's the one that I love best. Get this car, driving at night, three young teen girls singing, laughing in the car. The driver, clearly a dad, rolls his eyes lovingly. The girl next to him says, hey, dad, pull over. We need gum. And the dad kind of smiles, and you see him start to move the wheel, and he says, I'm on it. Cut to the car is parked in front of a market on a dark street. The three girls are walking from the car to the door of the store. The dad, who's still in the car behind the wheel, calls out through the open passenger window, hey, honey, here's some money. As the daughter leans in to take the money, we cut to the point of view of two cops pulling up behind them in a squad car with a spotlight shining, and one cop says, what have we here? And then we see the words, don't judge too quickly. Don't jump to a conclusion. Now listen, first thing I just want to say, these ads are very lighthearted, all of them, including that one. It's not meant to be sinister or threatening. It's meant to give us a really clear picture of how people jump to a conclusion that is completely wrong. So, that's the first example. And by the way, the ads are a lot of fun. I'll put a link in the show notes. There's one with a cat that makes me laugh. Okay, here's the second example. This is about me jumping to a conclusion. I am working outside my house one day. I have my back to the street. I hear a car drive by. As it passes, I hear something rolling in the street. I look up. I see a white car driving away and an empty drink can bouncing and rolling in the middle of the street behind the car. We have a trash problem in our neighborhood, and that guy tossing a can out of his sporty little car is one more example of the problem, and I am pissed off. At that moment, I want to teach this sucker a lesson. I'm flooded in my brain. And then I heard myself ask, wait a second, what do you really know? You only know two things. You know a car drove by, and you know a can rolled down the street, but you do not actually know how long that can was there. You do not actually know that it came from that car. You don't even know that anyone in that car was a guy. My brain had really gotten it wrong. It had jumped there so fast. And the questions stopped it from going any further, and then it was just over. I just let it go. As a leader... For you, it will help if you can hear when people begin climbing their own ladder. It will help you notice when people may be interpreting their data. 
I wonder if you heard me shift from data to interpretation when I told the story about the car in the canyon. In the beginning, I was speaking facts. I was outside. I was facing away. I heard a car. But then I was talking about this guy and this trash problem. And that was all interpretation. There was no data in there. As a leader, listen for fact and listen for interpretation. And remember that interpretation is natural. It's not inherently nefarious. It's happening, though. Listen for it. I hope that the latter is a helpful tool for the people on your team and for you personally. And when I think of tools that help, I think of gratitude. So let me dive into this month's gratitude. This episode is going live just after our National Day of Thanksgiving here in the United States. Personally, I gathered with my family here, which is always deeply meaningful to me. This is also a time of year when I thank on the air the people who make the podcast happen every month. You never hear about them except this once. I am so glad to give shout-outs to my editors, four hearty folks who give me wonderful feedback every month. Nancy Brewer, Graham Burns, Tom Mannheim, Nancy Shanfeld. Gratitude to all of you. Gratitude to our virtual assistant, Laura Clark. Laura, hats off to you always. Thank you. Gratitude to Paul Eisen. Paul has created our entire visual brand. Paul creates the terrific PDFs that you get every month, including this month. Everything of ours that you see, Paul has touched. And Paul, I thank you. Gratitude to George Avellino, who runs all things digital. As I'm sure most of you know, digital is more and more and more complex all the time. George is so gracious about sharing his wisdom I'm grateful for all the guidance, George. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for keeping the show up and running every month. And then I thank all of you. I cannot tell you how grateful I am that I get to do this podcast every month. It's just fantastic. I love it. And I am so grateful to all of you. An expression of my gratitude this month, another PDF, the ladder of inference. It's in the Essential Tools bin. It's on the Essential Communications website, Essential.com. Dot com. It's a central com with two M's dot com. Gratitude to those of you who reached out recently to talk with me about coaching. I am always so honored to hear your stories and to talk with you about your development. Thank you. And thank you, thank you, thank you to the people who post reviews. I confess that sometimes I worry that the flood of new podcasts is someday going to just swamp old shows like this and just kind of make it hard to find. Reviews from you really help keep us up on top of the waves, and I thank you. This month, from Sweden, Sven Karnikol, here in the U.S., Todd Thompson, thank you for your loyal and continued support. And then a new friend of mine, Mary Cyphers, from here in the United States, a coach. I am looking forward to getting to know you, Mary. Thank you. Thanks to all of you. All of you. Much gratitude. Okay. Two final ideas for you about acting in your own best interest. The first is a visual element that gets attached to the ladder of inference. So far, you know, the ladder has a top and a bottom and the rungs in between. Now we're going to add a chute along the side that goes from the top to the bottom like a slide. And the slide is there as a reminder that our brains are on a loop, that every time up the ladder affects the data we collect the next time at the bottom. And that's a good thing. The slide helps us build our expertise. It allows us to move faster and faster up the ladder from data to action. 
And even so, sometimes our brains can get it wrong. We get triggered and our ladder of inference is heading off in a new direction. Be conscious of the slide. Okay, that's idea number one. Here's number two. This second idea is partly about the ladder of inference, but it's more connected to the bigger concept of executive presence and the look and sound of leadership. At one point in the episode, Edwin talked about thinking about his thinking. If you don't have a habit of thinking about your thinking, it is going to be a slow march through sticky mud to achieve the look and sound of leadership. Thinking about your thinking allows you to do things like sorting and labeling, or give great feedback, or message well to your team. I think in one way or another, every episode of this show is in some way about thinking about your thinking. If building that habit sounds interesting to you, and I hope it does, you might explore three categories in the episode library, managing yourself, perception, how you perceive yourself, and personal growth and self-development. Five episodes that will help you think about your thinking are Getting Unstuck, How to Grow Your Self-Management, Positive Opposites, Self-Limiting Beliefs, always a good one, and Thinking Errors, another one that I talk about a lot. Everything is linked, including, by the way, those TV commercials. Everything is linked in the show notes, so... Help yourself. Okay, that's it from me. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel. Thanks so much for listening.